Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Alex Strong discussing uh, everything SQL Delight. Hi, Alec, and welcome to the show. Hi, Hadi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Great for you to be on. And uh, just before the show, we were speaking about, uh, you just said it's cold. So you're based out in... Kitchener, Ontario. Yeah, so it's it's just an hour away from Toronto. And what is the temperature there now? Uh, so, well, it's been really weird because the last week it was like minus 30 Celsius <laughs> and then it went up to like zero Celsius and all the snow melted. And now it's sitting closer to like minus five and we have freezing rain. So just in a week, we've had like a really awful sort of variance in the weather. But this is probably the worst one because freezing rain just means it's slippery everywhere. That's that's a massive change of temperature, right? It's like yeah. massive flux there, right? Right, because there was that like polar vortex, as the media was calling it, going through the north. So we caught a bit of that. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, say that. Oh, and and people talk about global warming. No, I'm not. I'm not just. I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. we definitely don't feel that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, uh, it's it's actually funny because like I I live in uh, the south of Spain, and Every year, we feel the temperature like it. I I don't want to say like you know that every year it's warmer, but it kind of is. Like every year, it feels like we've got more summer and less everything else, right? You know, like yeah, right yeah. now in January, like we're in February now, and it's eighteen Celsius outside, right? And and the lowest it's dropped has been something like ten Celsius or something like that. Early in and the normally it would go a lot lower than that. Yeah, I mean we've had temperatures here of like maybe three or four, or, or in, and and not so much the temperature, but the rains. Like we've generally January, February time, it it rains quite a bit, mm -hmm. um, but like I can feel like and and the seasons have shifted as well. Like when I first moved to Spain, August used to be the hottest month of all, right? That that's why traditionally in in Spain everyone takes August off because it was just too damn hot to work, right? And, right? and now that's kind of like slowly over the years it shifted to July, then June, then May, and now it's just like, wait a minute, it's just like becoming hot all year that's round. really weird. Yeah, for us, it's just we get a very inconsistent winter now. Like it used to be snow for like three months straight, and now we start to get rain every now and then. So there's never like a good sheet of snow always down, which actually is really sad because I love the winter when it's like a nice clean bed of snow um so when a big like rainstorm comes by and it's all gone it really sucks yeah and of course on the other side of the world australia is completely burning oh my goodness yeah it's like 40 over there i don't know how they deal with that yeah. well it's been good having you on the weather channel and now <laughs> yeah that's like a very uh uniquely canadian thing i think is to like talk about the weather as an introduction i think we get stereotyped for doing that a lot we love talking about weather <laughs> oh is it canadian i i guess it in, in in england as well it's kind of the same thing you know like you you want to do small talk you like you start with the weather like oh how's the weather well it's grim and like always yeah um, so <laughs> let's move on to the next thing <laughs> <laughs> sounds good Anyway, yeah, we were going to talk about, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, Kotlin and uh, your library. Yeah. Well, your library. I mean, you just, just. I mean, I, I'm sure that many people know you in the community and you've spoken, was it two years now you've been speaking at KotlinConf? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, Jake and I uh, spoke two years ago about Kotlin code generation and then this year did some SQL stuff. And you work at Square, right? Which is where I guess you were collaborating with Jake before he moved on, right? Yep, that's yeah. right. Work at Square, working mostly on Cash App. Cool. 
So one of the things that you've been speaking about this year, well, last year in 2018, was this library uh, SQL Delight, yeah? And, and yep. so we said, you know, come on the show and let's let our audience know a little bit more about it and what exactly it is. So can you give us like a, you know, two-minute summary of general overview of what this is? Yeah, so it's it's meant to sort of solve the same sort of problems that an ORM would solve. So you're handling your persistence layer in application programming. Um, most of those sorts of libraries, they take an approach where you write a lot of like Kotlin or Java code, which then at the end becomes SQL. And so you're interacting with like a query builder API or writing Java objects. And then those are being serialized at some point as SQL when they actually go into a database. Um, with SQL Delight, we wanted to actually take the opposite approach and instead start from SQL. So instead of having like your Kotlin or Java be the source of truth for your database, um, it's actually just pure SQL. So you're writing like create table statements, you're writing select statements. Uh, and then instead of like generating SQL from that, we already have the SQL. What we're doing instead is generating Kotlin. So now you have type safe Kotlin APIs to run the SQL that you wrote. Um, so the, the goal of the project really is just to write only SQL and to stay true to what like the SQL standard is. So we're not like missing any features and we compile that SQL for you. So you'll get like compilation errors if you write the SQL improperly. So uh, basically then, you're taking the reverse approach to every single ORM essentially out there, right? That's yes, exactly. That's, that's sort of how we're thinking about it. Okay. And uh, so you said one reason for that is to use the, the SQL as a source of truth. Is there any other reason for it? The, th the big thing we found when we were trying to use these like Kotlin or Java libraries was that oftentimes you had to add a ton of work into the runtime to make things that you want SQL to do work. So like if you wanted to have a certain column be the primary key, maybe there's like an annotation for the primary key. If you want it to be unique, there's an annotation for that. Uh, and then the same sort of thing starts to happen on the query side where you just have this really, really bloated runtime with like tons of different methods to support all this. And what we found is that it just like, it didn't have all of the support that we wanted. Like it was really frustrating when it was like, okay, we want the SQL to look this way, but there's no way to write the Kotlin that will then generate the SQL that we want. Uh, so the idea really was like, okay, well, if we just write SQL, now we have complete support of SQL because that's what we're doing. And really the only thing that we want out of the SQL is a type for the Kotlin side. So that when we actually start interacting with these tables from Kotlin, we have like our types, it's not just primitives. Um, and so that was like the big thing is that you're defining your create table statement. You can also specify a Kotlin type for each column in addition to the SQLite type. And we found that's really the only extra work that you need in order to be able to use it. That's actually a good point that you raised because I mean, I've used ORMs in the past a lot and it, it a lot of times it ends up in this situation where you have, you know, your your class that is essentially representing your table and your columns. And then you've got like tons and tons and tons of annotations on them to kind of fine tune them to exactly what you want, right? Yeah. And the, the craziest thing I find about that is what ends up happening is you inevitably need to change what those objects look like. And as soon as you do that, now you need to write a SQL migration. So you spend all of this work making it so that your class was in Kotlin. And then all of a sudden you have to go down to the SQL layer, understand what the schema looks like and write a migration for it. So you're not even avoiding SQL in that case. Like you still have to write the migrations in SQL. So it felt kind of like fruitless to put all of that work up front. Like you might as well just be writing SQL the whole time. Yeah. And in terms of, I mean, even in the, in, in the cases where 
you know, you follow kind of convention over configuration. Is that a term in the Android world? Because I mean, I know that you're mostly in the Android world. Have you, that, that was very common uh, uh, in, the, in the .NET world where I came from, the idea of convention over configuration, which is basically follow X number of conventions that 90% of the apps follow. And then, you know, the 10%, if you really want to, you can tweak things. Uh, we've, I always found that like, even with convention over configuration, uh, you still ended up tweaking a hell of a lot with that stuff. Is it, was the idea there that, you know, 90% of the cases, like the simple stuff will be very easy, but then when you want to start to do complex stuff, there's like ways to sort of go down into the lower layer and change things yourself. Is that is that the idea? A little bit, but it was also kind of like, you know, every, we know that every table is gonna have an ID, right? And that, so by default, if you have a field that is called ID, then we'll automatically assume that that's the, you know, the primary uh, key of the table. If you have a name, then we're gonna assume that that, for example, is index. Like you would have a series of conventions and then so that, you know, people wouldn't have to fine tune every single thing. It, it kind of came about from the Ruby world, right? And, and when you, you know, when we're talking about database migrations, that was another big thing in the Ruby world, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Which is kind of like, okay, you know, 80 or 90% of the apps are CRUD and they all follow the same kind of pattern. So let's just assume these things. And if you just do these things the way it is, then you know, away you go, right? You you had the similar things, uh, which I've talked about multiple times with like IOC containers, right? In, in the .NET world, in C Sharp, there's this uh, a convention of every interface is prefixed with I, and then every implementation doesn't have that prefix. Mm. So when you were configuring your IOC container, you wouldn't need to say that, you know, like I customer repository maps to customer repository convention would already pick that up, right? So you wouldn't have to configure that. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I have actually, and it's an interesting thing I bring up because like it, it, I've not really seen this so much in the, in the Java world as such, you know, it's, it's kind of no. like, I don't know, maybe I'm missing it. No, we definitely don't really have that in Java, I would say. Um, and especially, especially in the database end, like when we started writing SQL Delight, it was just all strings. So there was like no magic happening. You just sort of wrote SQL strings. And so there were no really conventions that you could enforce because it was all on strings. Like there was nothing special that you could really do with it. Um, I think I would, I'd be curious if some of like the object databases, things like, uh, like Object Box Realm, those things, they probably have a bit more of that, I would imagine, just because it's it's on that same sort of layer in Kotlin. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't really seen that sort of thing happen that much, the conventions. Yeah, but I mean, even going back, going back to the point which I was saying is that even despite these conventions, you always ended up with so much decoration around your, your classes and your fields, um, your properties, right. you know, um, doing these mappings. So of course, you know, I, I was going to, well, I mean, I was, I, I wanted to ask you at some point, it's like, okay, there's, there's millions of ORMs out there. How is this different? We've already gone through that because this is completely the reverse of every other ORM out there, right? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, this is exactly the opposite of something like Exposed, yeah? Which Exposed is, is a project by a few folks at uh, JetBrains, right? Which essentially does the reverse of what you're doing, right? Right. Yeah. So the, the goal here is really just to like write SQL and sort of use that existing knowledge base and like piggyback off of it. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's really, the closest things I can think of are something like Juke. Even though you're not writing pure SQL, the goal of Juke is to have an API that mirrors SQL exactly. And so it's still a, a project where the goal is like 
write SQL. Don't write this new query builder API. All of those existing SQL queries that you've written are still apl applicable in Juke. Um, so I think that's probably the closest thing. And when I want to get started, like if I want to, you know, I download your package and I'm going to start creating my database. Am I just writing plain SQL like DDL files or am I, is it a special syntax or a special file format that you have? It is just the DDL syntax. Uh, we do have our own file format. It's like .sq. Uh, the reason we do that is because there's also like a companion IntelliJ plugin. So we we built it up so that you get like the syntax highlighting and autocomplete, all of those kind of things. Uh, and then we read from those .sq files. But inside of the .sq files is just regular SQL. So yeah, to get started, you would just be like command N, make a new .sq file, and then write your create table statement. Uh, and that's that's it. That's really all you need to do to actually get going. And what dialect of SQL? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, right now it's just SQLite, but we very intentionally built it so that we could use it with other dialects. So we really quickly want to support MySQL and Postgres would probably be the, the next two biggest ones. But because it's all working on like the SQL level, there is really nothing that precludes us from using a different dialect of SQL. So it's really just making it so that there are drivers that work with SQL Delight for something like MySQL and Postgres, and like making sure that we actually fit uh, MySQL's because it has its own like custom dialect stuff that we would need to support as well. Um, but yeah, we we do hope to eventually support other dialects, but right now it's all SQLite. Okay, so that takes me to the next question, which is, given that you want to support multiple uh, dialects in the future you you're not aiming to create kind of like an abstraction on top of them to have a single language are you it's so yeah kind of it's it's really uh so something similar is sort of happening right now on the intellij layer between java and kotlin there's this shared api uast that you can use if you're an intellij plugin and if you work with just the uast layer then your intellij plugin actually works with both kotlin and java there's nothing like that for SQL right now. There's no like shared API for SQL languages that we can use. Uh, there's a separate project that I've written called SQLite PSI, which is the, uh, it is that like abstraction over the SQL language, but right now it's only SQLite. The plan for supporting multiple SQL dialects is to take that PSI layer and turn it into something closer to UAST, where you can use a single API for any SQL language. Like it would just be a SQL PSI. And then there's custom behavior that each uh, sub-dialect would be able to actually override. Like when you're using SQLite, maybe you don't want to be able to use varchars or something like that. So they would be able to override that behavior, but the, the default language SQL would have its own API that you could use. Uh, I'm actually like, so I imagine something similar probably exists in DataGrip, right? The IDE for actually working with SQL, uh, unless they have like separate APIs for every single dialect of SQL as well. But yeah, definitely the idea was to have like a single API so that SQL Delight doesn't need to know which dialect of SQL it's working on top of. Um, it's just working on like the abstract SQL PSI, and then you can use it with like SQLite, MySQL, anything else. Okay. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's a little bit, I guess, from the implementation level. What I was trying to ask um, was from a user perspective, right? Like if mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's ironic because it never happens, but a lot of times we have this obsession with abstraction, right? So, you know, let me, let me uh, abstract away my 
uh, repository access just in case tomorrow I switch my database. You know, let me abstract away my OR, let me use an ORM in case I want to go from, I don't know, Oracle to MySQL. So what I was saying is like, <clears throat> given that you have your own .sq, would would the goal be now to create a, a your own subset of a DDL, which is common across multiple databases, giving the user ultimately the option of saying, okay, I'm going to use SQL Delight, and today I'm going to use, uh, you know, MySQL, but tomorrow I want to switch over to Postgres, and I won't have to really change much in my code. Right. That's definitely not the current intention. We want it to be so that those files, like a .sq file, if you've configured it to be SQLite, will only be SQLite. And then you can later on configure it to be MySQL, but then like that file will fail compilation. It'll say like this syntax isn't supported in MySQL or something like that. Um, so the, the goal is very much to not have that, to not create our own dialect. Like I'm pretty adamant and I don't want to have like a SQL delight dialect that now is a new thing. Uh, I really want it to be like you're just writing MySQL or you're just writing SQLite and have as like few additions to that as possible. Now, the, the, the one thing we do add into the dialect uh, that's uniquely our own is that you can like label select statements. So if you just do like my query colon and then select star from some table, um, then that select statement is given a name my query so that you can actually run it at runtime. So there will be like an API generated called my query. But that's really the only modification we make on the dialect. So even if you were to switch from something like SQLite to MySQL, uh, it would still have that label, but you wouldn't be able to write like a SQLite select statement. Although SQLite itself is meant to be this dialect that supports anything from like MySQL and Postgres or any of the other ones. But uh, yeah, the idea would be the .sq file would only support a single dialect and you would configure that ahead of time. Yeah, because it would kind of go against your whole principle, right? Of being yeah. bare, you know, as close to the metal as possible, metal being the actual SQL database, right? Right, um, if yeah. You, if you create this abstraction layer. Yeah, and we do, it's, it's pretty common for us to get GitHub issues that are asking for some sort of enhancement to the dialect to make something easier. And I'm always like, let's let's try and think about a way that we can make like the generated code nicer, but I, I never want to actually modify the, the SQL we're writing. Because I think the further we move from just true SQL, uh, the harder it's going to be to sort of like sell this as, hey, you can just write SQL. Um, every single like addendum that's like, well, you can just write SQL, except this looks a little bit different. I think that actually like hurts us in the long run. Yeah. So once you write this code, it generates some classes for you, right? Which is then the Kotlin classes that the, the developer basically consumes. Yep. Has there ever been a need for fine tuning these classes? And, and is it possible to do so? Like, you know, you want to tweak them just, just like in reverse, we're like adding annotations here and there to tweak the SQL that's generated. Do you have that reverse problem? So yes, but it's only really in that one case where you want to be able to specify the type for a column. Uh, and like the annotation thing you were mentioning is actually a, a really big one because you can also like annotate those types. So say you want to store a color in your SQLite DB, um, then you might want to expose that as an int, but on Android, you might want to annotate that with like color resource or at color, just to say that that integer is like representing a color. So you can generate any type that you want for each column. You can also annotate those types. Those are the main ones that you want out of it. Um, I think the other big thing is sometimes you want to be able to like bring your own type. So we do generate these types for each table and for each projection that you'll get back. 
But we also expose APIs that just give you Lambda callbacks that just have the projection in them. And so you can create like your own custom type. If you do like a select star, we'll just give you the columns instead of like an actual row type. And then you can take those columns and turn them into whatever you want. And so that's really the way that we wanted to make it like extendable and pluggable instead of saying, oh, you can generate different code. It's more like you can bring a type yourself if you don't want to use the types that we generate for you. Yeah. And of course, the being generated code, you probably, you know, you advise against people touching that generated code. Yeah. 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 And in fact, we even go further than that. It's really hard to step into the generated code. Uh, if you like command click on a, on a select function, then it'll take you to the .sq file where you can like modify the SQLite. If you have the IntelliJ plugin installed, it won't take you to the generated code. So really nice. the generated code is meant to be like the implementation, but never the actual API or the thing that you're modifying. Yeah. Generated code is fine. As long as it's read only, you never touch it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and they kind of solved this problem in in the C sharp world with the invention of partial classes. Are you familiar yeah. with the partial classes? Which is oh god, I don't am. go there. Oh, um, you don't like them? <laughs> I don't know. I every time I used them, it was more pain than 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 gain. So no. I'm not a big fan of them. Uh, and I kind of feel like uh, because I was going to say in the Kotlin world. In a sense, you could even do like extension functions or extension properties to to the generated classes, right? If yeah. you if you want that additional functionality, and that's what we've done in our code base. So if we want to have like a generated type have some method on it, then we'll just use extension functions. Yes. Yeah. So Kotlin even helps us there, where it's like you really don't need to make those custom types because you can, for the most part, use extension functions to get what you want. Yeah, that's cool. So how do you deal with migrations? So migrations are also their own file format. It's .sqm instead of .sq. And the way it works is you just name the migration file, the version that you want to upgrade from. And then once again, you just put regular SQL inside of them. So that's pretty much it. It's you just put all of your altered table statements and everything else into it, their own files. And then we will generate a test task. Um, from Gradle for you. So you can run that task and it'll actually make sure that your migrations will bring a database up to the current schema. And we always treat your like, so there's the .sq files, which are your SQL source. There's the .sqm files, which are your migrations. Uh, if you want to like check migrations, then you also have to have in the, in the repository, like a database file that we can check against. So say you have like a version one database and you have one.sqm, then it will run that migration file on the database and verify that that schema after running the migrations looks like everything in your .sq files. Uh, and so that way we're able to actually like verify that your migrations bring everything up to speed the right way. Um, and it's also like another, it's a typed system where like if you misspell anything in your migration file, then you'll get compilation errors for it. Right. But if I'm from a you like if I'm using the classes, so let's say that I start at, at version one of my database and I run your tool and it generates the classes for me. Mm -hmm. And now there is a migration. I will have to the, like the DDL that migrates my database. Everyone in the code base, everyone on the team basically has to rerun that and well, someone has to rerun it and everyone's got to use the new version of the classes, right? I mean, there, there's no way for you to kind of, well, I mean, I guess, there, I guess there is a way for you to be able to work with an older version as well, right? 
you can only work against the current version. So the generated code, the actual like Kotlin code you're working with is always just coming from the .sq file. The, the migration files have no effect on the actual generated code. Uh, and yes, you do. So if someone like updates a class, one of the model classes, and then also adds a migration file, pushes that all to master, and then you check it out, you will have to either run another generate step so that you generate the new Kotlin classes, or if you're using the IDE plugin, then that just happens automatically for you. Um, we just make sure that the, the model classes that are generated are always up to date. Nice, so the IDE plugin actually does quite a bit, right? Yeah, it's really important. I mean, I think one of the big challenges of doing it this way, and one of the things we really wanted to make sure we did right, was uh, you should never have to interact with like the build tool while you're running, while you're writing code. Obviously, when you go to like execute the code, then we have to compile everything properly. But when you're just writing code, you shouldn't have to like type in some SQL, then do a build, and then start writing Kotlin code that interacts with the generated code. Um, that sort of introduces this like really awkward fourth wall in your coding. It should really feel like interoperable, where like when you're writing SQL, you should then be able to go to Kotlin. And let's say you changed the type of some column. Then if you go to your Kotlin code, it should look like it's failing already. You shouldn't have to like compile and then see a failure. It should fail right in the IDE. Uh, so yeah, the IntelliJ plugin is very crucial for using the whole project. Yeah, I mean, you know, out of well, Data Grip and Ultimate also provide you with uh, database support, right? They have yeah. um, completion, they have some refactoring, etc. As well. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And also all of the like tooling on top of it, so yeah. you can like see what your schema looks like visually, and maybe like run a query planner, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And all of this you've done in Kotlin, the library. Yes, and not just Kotlin. Uh, it's also Kotlin multi-platform, the generated code. Okay, cool, shows. because that's actually, we're going to get to that as, um, soon as well regarding the multi-platform stuff. But as this is developed from the ground up in Kotlin, are, are you catering to Kotlin or are you catering also to Java developers? Uh, so early on, when we were writing the latest version of SQL, we, we essentially built it from the ground up. The original SQL Delight was all Java. We generated Java code, and it was actually meant to be used with AutoValue, uh, which is a project from Google for, for generating data classes, essentially. So Java doesn't have data classes, so you have to write two string equals. There's a project called AutoValue, which would provide those for you. And so the original SQL Delight was meant to work well with AutoValue. And then Kotlin started to pick up a lot of speed, and we said, well, yeah, this is way nicer than any of the J Java APIs we could make, so let's embrace Kotlin. Early on, we thought that we would still want to be able to support AutoValue and these Java classes, but uh, it ended up being a lot of extra work to try and do that. Uh, so we pretty much immediately abandoned it, and now, we, to be honest, we don't really care about what the API looks like from Java. Um, for better or for worse, I don't think people are really using this project except for with Kotlin. Um, it, it definitely behaves the way that you would want it to. Like we do make usage of things like extension functions. So if you're trying to use the library from Java, it's just not going to read as nicely. Um, so yeah, it's it's very much like first party Kotlin, and then Java will work, but it won't look great. Yeah, that's because that, you know, looking at some of the examples, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Like this looks really nice in Kotlin. Uh, because it, it kind of caters to idiomatic Kotlin, but how would this look like from a Java perspective, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really rough. Um, there's no real easy way to do that. That was what we found to like be able to support both at once. Um, and so we sort of said, it works in Java, that's good enough for us. I think if you're in a Java, I mean, so just to use the library, right, we are generating Kotlin. So you can't just be in a pure Java 
yeah. module, you have to at least have the Kotlin dependency. Yeah. So if you already have the Kotlin dependency, like to be honest, why aren't you already Using writing Kotlin. Kotlin or moving towards Kotlin? Yeah. So there's no real reason. Like I could see maybe you're in a pure Java dependency world. Uh, and then if you wanted to use this library, it just wouldn't work at all. But yeah, you need Kotlin somewhere on your class path. So you're probably already writing Kotlin. One of the other things I was going to ask is what you mentioned before, which is the multi-platform, right? So mm -hmm. this caters to what platforms? Right now it's native Android and JavaScript, but the JavaScript one doesn't actually have a driver. So you can, you can use the models that we generate, but you're probably not actually going to run any SQL. So it's very much just Android and native right now. And native targeting iOS or more platforms? iOS with support for more platforms actually being uh, like contributed right now. Someone's working on Windows. Someone just added support for Mac OS, I believe. Um, so we we started with just iOS because that's what we internally wanted to use. And then I guess there's been a desire to, to use it on some of the other native platforms. So that's being added in now as well. And I'm assuming that they're making use of existing libraries on those platforms. Yes, that's right. So a lot of a lot of the way Call it Native works is that you can sort of interact with all of the platform libraries that are on that platform. Um, and so I can't remember what the Windows one was, but they, they implemented like the SQLite driver using Windows APIs. Yeah, because you don't want to be writing that from scratch. No, no, exactly. Exactly. And how's the experience been for you? Uh, not only for you as a developer of this, but as consumers, how has the uh, multi-platform support been? Uh, I feel like that's that's not a fair question to answer right now, just because it it's still so early and like the everything is changing pretty rapidly. Um, so if anything, that's been the hardest part is just that every major release of Kotlin typically comes with changes to the multi-platform DSL and potentially changes to the actual behavior of Kotlin native. Um, for the most part, they're always like good. Uh, but it is a little painful to every single time there's an update be changing this thing. So I, I'm very much looking forward to when everything is stable. So that, yeah, but I, I also understand like it it relies right now on Gradle metadata, which is a it's an experimental feature from Gradle. So we can't even stabilize multi-platform until that itself is stable. So there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of dependencies going on that all sort of need to fit together. And right now they're all experimental. Like multi-platform is, metadata is, Kotlin native is in beta, but it's still like changing a little bit. Um, so that, that's been the most painful part. But in addition to that, there's been a lot of like pleasant parts. The fact that any of this works at all, to be honest, is like, it's kind of astounding. Like the idea that we can deploy or, or distribute like SQL Delight, the runtime artifact, for multiple different platforms and then downstream be able to have like dependency management for native uh, is really impressive. Because if you if you think about like the iOS ecosystem, that's something that has taken them years to sort of get to with things like CocoaPods. They don't really have a good distribution framework for any of their like native libraries. And even now they're sort of compiling from source mostly. So uh, it's been really impressive working with it as a consumer because the fact that it works is, is yeah, it's, it's just really impressive to me. Um, and it, it's pretty painless to actually import all of those dependencies and start working with everything from a consumer standpoint. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, honesty uh, and good feedback is great. And I think that it's, you know, this is valuable as well for the team. And it, you can't hide the fact that it is uh, painful at times, right? I mean, you can't deny that. It it kind of does remind me of the, the milestone era of Kotlin, right? Remember mm -hmm. how every milestone you had to change a whole bunch of things. But right. 
again, like I agree that like credit where credit is due because this isn't easy and, and getting so no. far is is quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And at this point, like everything is functional. And I think all of the all of the improvements that I think could be made before like a 1.0 are mostly like nitpicky. They're they're very small things that I don't think are gonna change, you know, how the libraries are used drastically, which is really good. It seems like it's in like a very good spot already. So are you using this in production yourselves at Square? Yeah, so for Cash App, our entire backend pretty much uses SQL Delight. Um, so the whole app is really powered from it and that's like pretty much the bottom layer, it's that and the network layer. And so everything really funnels through the database. Um, everything that we're like showing on screen tends to be some sort of like observable of a database query so that if anything gets inserted or updated in the database, then that'll get like immediately reflected in the actual Android app. Um, so we make really, really heavy use of SQLite and we use SQL Delight for pretty much all of that. Um, on the native side, on the iOS side, we're just starting to sort of dip our toes into it. So we want to actually like test out the technology a little bit first. Um, obviously, it's introducing a lot of new dependencies, not just to the runtime, but like the tooling too, like just the ability to compile Kotlin code for the iOS app is like very new for their for their CI infrastructure. So we're we're starting to experiment with that a little bit, um, hoping to actually deploy a little bit of SQL Delight native soon, and then after that, we'll have a better idea of how much we actually want to use it on iOS. But uh, Actually, interesting. So uh, because I've been doing a lot more iOS recently, getting this stuff working, I've had a lot of exposure to what their persistence looks like with, with primarily core data. Uh, and it very much resembles that like archaic world of five years ago, where it's all just sort of strings being passed in. So having shown them SQL Delight and shown that it's like possible to use it on iOS, I can tell there's like a lot of a desire from our team at least to use it. So I think we will start using it more and more um, from the iOS side as well. And do you need to create anything on that side or are you just basically consuming it directly? I mean, it, it, is the I, or let me rephrase, is the iOS team right now looking at using Kotlin as well? No, so they, I mean, they love Swift and for a good reason, Swift is a really fantastic language. I think what they're really interested in is replacing a lot of their Objective-C with Kotlin potentially, and like shared Kotlin specifically. I don't think they would ever use Kotlin if it wasn't also being used by Android because they would rather just use Swift since it's the, the native language they're all most familiar with. Um, but those, those Objective-C, and especially with persistence, because we're essentially doing the same thing between Android and iOS, being able to re replace a bunch of Objective-C core data cruft with SQL Delight, that's the same as what's going on in Android, is, is very, very tempting um, for both of teams because it's going to make it easier for both of us, I think. Right, and it's exactly kind of like the target here, right? Shared common code that you can use across multiple teams. That's exactly it, yeah. Cool. So one thing I, I did want to ask before we wrap up is... I, I don't Again, I don't know if this has been going on in the Android slash... Uh, Java world, I guess, uh, but there's there's been always a, a little bit of controversy around ORMs, right? Mm -hmm. In that ORMs are essentially adding a level of complexity, and, and in particular, the fact that you know, if the, I, I'm sure maybe you're familiar with the the notion of CQRS or command and query. Uh, responsibility segregation, where by where essentially where you're separating your um, reads from your writes, right? You know, mm -hmm. to, to okay. summarize the TLDR, right? So you yeah. have so you have one one database in a format where you are 
storing data and you have it in a different format when you're reading, right? And so there used to be a lot of backlash around ORMs in that it was adding these really, you know, unperformant uh, relations between tables and, you know, three-way joins and stuff like that, that really wasn't required. You know, you weren't getting back these objects that were nested with different relationships between different tables. Uh, you didn't need to update everything at once. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining myself, uh, but have you ever, like, I mean, Using an ORM or using something like SQL Delight obviously is not forcing you into this model. And I think that it's important to to highlight this, right? Because you can end up with very flat tables with not many relationships between these tables and still very much take advantage of this, right? Right. Yeah. I think the early on when we were talking about this and talking about pers persistence, we sort of all agreed that the R part of ORMs was like a really undesirable thing, at least for like Android application programming, just because there were so many like hidden performance hits to it, where like if you're automatically resolving these relations, like you're right, on disk it's this very flat thing, but maybe when you're interacting with it in code, it tries to behave as if it isn't, and that you like get these relations given to you directly. Uh, and doing that can be really, uh, it's, it's very mysterious sometimes. Like, so just, I think with something like Hibernate, for example, maybe you try and resolve some relation and it feels as though it's already loaded into memory. But in fact, when you try and access part of some, some lower relation, it's actually running another query to get that data. And that sort of thing isn't good on Android because all of a sudden you're potentially on the main thread resolving these relations. So we wanted it to be an, an extreme, like there, there should be a cost that's obvious to the person writing against their data layer for resolving these relations. And we think that co cost should appear in like, oh, I wrote a left join. So I'm joining these two tables together instead of something that's like much more mysterious and like maybe you don't know how it's actually working under the hood. Um, I think it's better to have that sort of upfront cost of like understanding what's going on because that's the thing that's actually gonna scale really well. Because the more that you actually join and the more like logic you're actually doing in SQL, you're actually gonna understand everything that's happening there. I don't know if that 100% answered your question about No, the I think it does. I think it does. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, because yeah. the, the thing about having what you were saying was almost like there's a different schema to the read side versus the write exactly. side. Exactly. And often it may be the same database, but it's also right. like, yeah, the, the idea behind CQRS is essentially to kind of create this different schema, right? You have you yeah. have your reads and then you have your writes. And the writes right. are the essentially the commands and the reads are the, are the queries. But what I wanted to kind of highlight is that often I've, I've seen people shy away from using libraries such as um, Exposed or SQL Delight or whatever, ha what have you, because they immediately kind of like say, oh, no, ORMs, ORMs are underperformant and overly complex. No, it really does depend on how you are using them, right? And, and yeah. at the end of the day, if you're using libraries such as SQL Delight for basically doing type safe uh, queries. Yeah, I do think there's like a, with ORMs, there is a lot of, so the, the reason I'm, a, I'm really against ORMs and don't really like ORMs is because they are introducing this like completely new thing. They're not really, it's not Kotlin. It's like an entirely new API and it's not SQL because it's also a different API from that. So you're like introducing this extra thing that you have to learn. 
Um, and again, that was like one of the big motivations for SQL Delight is like, let's not introduce something new. Let's just use something that's already there. You do still need to know it. Like for a lot of people, especially, you know, application developers, SQL probably isn't the thing you're most comfortable writing. So it is something that you still need to learn. But I really like that the thing that you're writing is actually what's going to get executed. So you could execute it in any context. You could use like uh, any sort of like SQL backend. It doesn't have to be the Android application. You know exactly which query is going to run, and you can sort of use the tooling around that um, instead of having to like find new tooling for something like you know Hibernate or some other ORM. It was awesome chatting with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great chatting. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, obviously all of this is available on GitHub. People can download it. It's uh, I look, it's Apache two license, so all good, right? Yeah, for sure. Make uh, free use of it for sure, and don't forget to download the IntelliJ plugin too. It makes a huge difference. Cool. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks a lot.